she is hardcore first order. Shadow troopers, shadow troopers. She's flawless. She can do anything. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Geek Quorum. It's a fracking podcast. Yes, it is. It's a fracking podcast. I'm Brian, and also in the quorum is... Burn. And Michelle. The Quorum is a fan podcast about sci-fi, fantasy, gaming, and geek topics. And you can find us on the web at galacticacorum.com and geekquorum.com. And on Facebook, if you look us up, Geek or Galactica Quorum, I kind of cross-post to both just because I'm not sure who we're fans of found us or are looking for us. So you can find us there. Uh, you can also email us at gquorum at gmail.com. And you can, if you wish, uh, our voicemail is still there. Uh, 301-358-5175. So just uh, to follow up on some of the topics from last time, which only was a few weeks ago, amazingly enough, not months or years. We mentioned last time that we wanted to play Battlefront on our various systems, but at the time, that was impossible. It still is impossible, but Microsoft had said that they were opening up their platform. They're opening up to cross-platform play. Who knows when that'll actually happen? Probably never. Who knows how they do it? I'm new to the console universe, but from what I understand... There are technical reasons why that's challenging because of varying degrees of frame rates. Um, I'm way out of my depth here, but I always understood that, that would, there were technical barriers. And so I'm kind of curious how they're overcoming those. Yeah, I would think the main barrier would be their infrastructures are entirely different going between users of Xbox Live and the PlayStation network. Now, that being said, often, and this I'm totally speaking out of my league as well, I'm not totally sure about this, but... It's, my understanding is that EA has their own servers anyway, so I'm not sure if people channel through Xbox Live and then to the EA servers, or if Xbox Live is just sort of like a uh, conductor that says, here, you just pass on through and you don't really go through our system at all. I'm not sure. But anyway, yeah, there's a few things to figure out, but um, it'd be nice. There's a list out there. If there's a listener out there who can set us straight, please, please post on our Facebook wall so we can we can talk intelligently about these things in the future. <laughs> yes, definitely. Next up, uh, a movie came out since our last podcast, Batman v Superman. V versus V, however it's pronounced, I don't know. I asked before if you guys were interested in seeing it, what your level of interest was. Now it's been out, what, a week or two I, or so? So did you see it? I did. You did, okay. What? <laughs> My co no, hold on. No, there is a rational defense. I promise. Um, my friend at work got uh, free tickets as part of some kind of sales pitch or promotion, kind of like you drop your business card in a dish and someone takes you out to lunch, except they took us out to a movie. So we listened to a sales pitch for a really god awful, stupid IT product. And then we got to watch the movie and I got exactly what I paid for. Wow. That's saying a lot. <laughs> wow. Uh, that's about the best compliment I can give it. It was, <laughs> I, I spent most of the movie in wrecked with guilt that I wasn't working. And that's sad. Hmm. That's just sad. Wow. Yeah. The reviews were harsh. My favorite headline, I don't remember where it was from. It might've been from uh, IO9 or I'm not sure where, but it said, 
Batman versus Superman is the showgirls of superhero movies. Oh. I, yeah. That's bad. Even that is not, that's not accurate because showgirls has at least a campy quality to it mm. and has a, has a legitimate following mm. for virtue of the fact that it is such a bad movie. Mm-hmm. I can't justify rewatching that movie for the sake of it even being bad. Well, yeah, that's, um, yeah, I haven't seen it. Uh, Michelle, I guess you haven't seen it. No. No. Again, I still, I have no desire to no see desire. it. No desire. Okay. Yeah. I mean, maybe when it comes out on DVD, I'll watch it. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Probably not. Hmm. <laughs> no, I think, uh, in fact, if I could even bridge, connect these two disparate dots, but mm-hmm. it's like Trump. <laughs> it's like Donald Trump. It's so bad. People can't help but talk about it. And the more people talk about it, the more people go and see it. And thus it gets an in disproportionate amount of attention from the universe. It's it just people should stop talking about it mm-hmm. right, right now, right now, <laughs> now. And so our next topic, uh, following on, uh, I'm, I'm following the lead, a new uh, new movie in the Indiana Jones franchise was announced. Indiana Jones 5 is going to be made. I do kind of wonder how are they going to um, have, I mean, Harrison Ford did a fine job as an age, aging Han Solo, but I don't know what he can possibly do as an aging Indiana Jones other than. But he already did. He did, but that was like what? How That was 10 years ago, wasn't it? No, was it really? God, if it is, I'm so old. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, let me go look. <laughs> but still, I mean, he's already done an aging Indy and his so-called replacement did not do a good job. It was 2008, so it wasn't quite 10 years ago. Okay, it was eight years ago. Oh. <laughs> I am old. And it's not going to be out until another two years from now. So, yeah. So anyway, I, I'm wondering how that's going to pan out. Unless it's going to be Star Wars-esque where they do a passing of the torch to someone else. Uh, but again, well, I, I don't... How, how would, that's you know. the hope here for all of Lucas's movies. But I don't know how they it's, would do that because I don't want to see, frankly a passing of the torch from an older indie to some protege because older indie is going to be, by this time it'll be like 1960 or something. And I don't care about that era. I, why I loved Indiana Jones. Well, one of the reasons why I loved Indiana Jones was because it was set in the forties and it was like, that's a great period of time. And I you know, great villains. You had the Nazis. I don't know who, who are they going to? Well, here's the thing. If they pass the torch to someone else, it can't be called Indiana Jones because it's not Indiana Jones anymore. Right. So if they, the only thing that makes sense, if, it, if they're going to stay true to, in my opinion, the indie name is it has to be a young indie and that I'm on board with a younger indie, not a kid. Like I'd love to see an indie in his twenties or his thirties. Yeah. I'm not sure how they've already done young Indian of different incarnations. They did a whole TV series about it. Plus, the challenge there is they're making a young Han Solo movie. So they're going to have a young Indiana Jones and a young Han Solo reboot and with different actors. Or I, I just don't know how that, that would work. I don't Maybe know. they get the same actor for young Han and young <laughs> Indy. Now that. <laughs> right. Uh, he could just do remakes of all of Harrison Ford's movies. <laughs> <laughs> the new Indiana Jones in Witness in Air Force One, in, <laughs> yeah, 
Air Force One president as he was running for president or when he was like a governor of some state. Right. Yes. <sighs> so um, that'll be interesting. And the screenwriter for that one is the guy that wrote, I believe, the last movie and not the original treatment of it. Because the original treatment was done by, I believe, Frank Darabont. I think I have that. Really? Yeah, I have that script somewhere, actually. The the original Indiana Jones and the Crystal, Crystal Skull, Skull, whatever. That's interesting to see how that compared to the other one. What did Lucas do? Did he read Frank's script and say, no, this is too good. I'm going to make it shitty. <laughs> well, maybe that's a good topic for another podcast where we look at first scripts of films and compare them to how they turned out. Like I have the original Lee Brackett script of Empire Strikes Back that is really different <laughs> from how Empire Strikes Back turned out. So that would be interesting to do. Yeah, that'd be, be a fun exercise. We can have a dramatic reading. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> uh, who gets to be Luke? Who gets to be Luke? Yeah. I guess I have to be Leia, right? Uh, I'm not going to typecast. <laughs> uh, I was thinking you were Lando. All right. Awesome. <laughs> I can play that role. <laughs> I don't, actually, I don't know that Land. I'll have to check. It's been many years since I read that script. I think Lando's in that. Yes, he is. I'm, if my memory serves. Yes. Okay. Speaking of Star Wars, this week, the teaser trailer for Rogue One came out. What are your thoughts? Shadow Troopers. Shadow Troopers. Michelle, Michelle. Be honest. What? How many times what? Today? Uh, today? <laughs> Maybe <laughs> 10 times. <laughs> it only came out this morning at like 7 in the morning. Uh, no, I'm, I'm right behind you. I'm, okay. I'm, 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 I'm around 10 myself. Yeah, I uh, made the decision this time to watch the trailer instead of avoiding it like I did all the uh, Force Awakens trailers. I really enjoyed seeing all that episode 4 goodness Badass. Yep. Star Destroyers. Yep. If we want to get like deep dive into like the Star Destroyers had like interesting because like the conning tower was like a little different from what they were in Star Wars or Empire Strikes Back, especially like the whatever class Star Destroyers they were. I think these were slightly different. I mean, man, I I could go really geeky into the whole Star Destroyer design, but that was cool. Let me push the glasses up the bridge of my nose real quick. (laughs) Um, the one thing I saw that was interesting is in the background of one shot, there were clone troopers. Oh, really? Huh. Oh, wait, now I got to go back and watch it. Yeah, you have to go back and watch. So there are stormtroopers in the foreground, and in the background on some kind of vehicle, a tank or a land speeder of some kind, moving very slowly, are what look to be clone troopers. Clearly, like, there's a, a worlds are transitioning, or time mm-hmm. periods are transitioning. One part of the trailer, which I loves the music it's of course very nostalgic the core theme but it's slowed down like towards the end with the turn of the heroine mm-hmm. and the voiceover and it's that single piano playing the core tune mm-hmm. oh it's so good it's so good it gets my heart racing <laughs> i'm excited but of course it doesn't take much to get me excited about star wars one thing that caught me off guard was there's that scene with like like the samurai looking guy who's like swinging a sword around to me, that was the one thing that kind of stuck out in a weird way. I can understand a guy swinging a sword around and having it be a weapon and whatever, but for it to be a guy who looked like an Asian guy, who looked like a samurai, who looked like he was holding a samurai sword, it just kind of looked kind of weird. Yeah, why didn't just someone shoot him? 
<laughs> I just like, what is that guy doing in the Star Wars universe? I, I'm all for like, like elements of that aesthetic to be there. Like if you look at some of the original Stormtrooper designs, especially um, for, uh, I think it was the Empire Strikes Back, where some of the artists were like trying out new designs for Stormtrooper armor. And they, uh, if you look at the art of Star Wars, the art of Empire Strikes Back book, which I have on a shelf somewhere, they had like very samurai-ish elements to their helmets and they had like these little kind of half cape things and I get it but to have a actual like time warped transplanted samurai plop into the middle of a Star Wars movie it just I was like what anyway but I could be wrong maybe it's just all temporary and not fully maybe there's more to it maybe they there maybe it was actually holding a lightsaber and they hadn't shaded it in yet with all the, the glowiness and it's not even a sword it looked like a staff yeah if you think about it you know, they're going to different planets. Not everybody's going to have blasters and, you know, everybody's culture is going to be different. So why not? Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. But why I does the Asian guy have to be a samurai? I I don't know. I just. Hmm. You always get so up in arms about that stuff. I know. Like the whole rickshaw thing. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Why'd they call it a rickshaw? I mean, how do they know? <laughs> yeah. I think what's exciting, though, ultimately, is that it's a great chance to expand the universe, right? Because I think stylistically, I think this movie gives the the, the producers a chance to break with the style a little bit of the uh, of the trilogy. Like J.J. Abrams in doing Force Awakens is purposely very much trying to provide stylistic continuity. Mm-hmm. with the original trilogy but with this i think they can uh, they can break that and do something a little bit different right and that means they can do something different with the characters they can do something maybe not with the aesthetic of the universe they have to be true to that in right. some respects but with the music and with the pacing of the, the movie and everything else i think i'm really excited and i this was the first i've really seen of it like i've heard of rogue one kind of in the background but like you I, i've chosen not to expose myself to a lot of the the rumors and speculation yeah. but seeing this i'm yeah. like all in yeah i'm into i'm actually almost more enthused about these side movies which they're officially labeling as a star wars story than i am the episodes just because i feel like they can like you said branch out and in a lot of ways with these characters who are at this point unknowns anything can happen. And that's something that was obviously missing from the prequels. And uh, I'm just excited about it. I am happy to see a lot of new things, an old setting, but yet presented in a new way. And I've always advocated in not just this franchise, but other franchises, like even Battlestar was like, well, why can't they have a, a show about some other group of refugees or another Battlestar out somewhere? It could be a whole spinoff. I like the idea of you have a universe that works. Why not play with it? And it doesn't have to be the same cast of characters all the time. Maybe in a couple of years when there's, you know, they've done the movie a year. I don't know. That's a good question. Do you think there actually could be a saturation point where it could be like, all right, enough Star Wars. We went a long drought without any Star Wars movies, but now having one a year, could you actually say to yourself at one point, do you see, is it possible that you could say, you know what? It's a little bit too much. Not for me. can i just tell you how my week went this is what my week has been okay Mm -hmm. my week has been watching star wars 
Mm-hmm. And watching uh, The Force Awakens mm-hmm. and then watching Star Wars Rebels. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I watched the entire two seasons of Star Wars Rebels this week mm. just because I had to know. I don't know why. <laughs> so I like the opportunity to go and see what other people in the universe are doing because up to this point, everything has revolved around the Skywalkers. Mm-hmm. And there's so many other characters and stories that go along with them or parallel to them so why can't we learn about them as well right. i mean not everything revolves around the skywalkers okay god god <laughs> amen amen sister <laughs> as much as i love them they're not the only people and it's not the only family in the world or in the galaxy you know or in the entire universe <laughs> so we can branch out a little bit yeah so i'm looking forward to that which actually uh, brings up one other point, and then we can get to our main topic. It made me wonder, will there be something in this movie, something in it, either a character or a plot point, that will eventually tie into episode eight? For instance, like, there's lots of conjecture, and this is something we'll get to in another podcast about who's Ray, who's her parents, blah, blah, blah. Would they, in this movie, open up any tiny little bit of clue and is that fair? Is it okay for them to, in this side movie, create something that heretofore had not been in the canon or not you know, exposed at all? If they did that, would you be satisfied? Would you be annoyed? Uh, would you think consider it a cheat? Uh, would it be okay? What do you think? I know, and that, I know that's a hard question because we don't know what, what the content of the movie is, if they're going to do that at all or whatever. But just generally, do you, do you think that was something that— I don't know if I have a— a well-formed opinion on this yet, but I would say that if they can touch upon something, just just so you can connect one dot with with another story, so that you can see the relationships, perhaps, and hopefully, I think, produce more questions in the viewer's mind around like, oh, wait, this person knows this person? So what happened in between those 30 years, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's some interesting things they can do, but I hope they don't go down too far down the rabbit hole doing that Mm -hmm. because for me it's all about the mystery right what i'm looking forward to and and what i I wonder is whether they will in any way have the characters in rogue one encounter or you'll see in the background like as an easter egg you'll see events that were unfolding in episode four Mm -hmm. or the main character walking down the hallway and kind of brushing elbows with Luke Skywalker. And, sh- and she just kind of turns around and is like, who is that? Mm-hmm. And you re- the audience realizes who it is. Um, yeah. It might be the wrong time period because yeah, it probably is, but it, it would be nice if they in some way had the young Han Solo show up, but the time, I don't think the timing is right because I think this <laughs> is too late in the time frame for that to happen right but it would be a way to nicely introduce like oh by the way almost like how they do the uh after credit scenes in the marvel movies for them to just have a little thing that's like oh that's the guy he's gonna be that's the young han solo but i don't don't think it's gonna happen because it's the time well isn't so isn't rogue one between three and four is that what yes okay so it's between three and four so that would han wouldn't even be in the picture with the rebel right yeah, that's what I mean. Right. It wouldn't work. Well, it'd be it'd be very interesting if the end of Rogue One is the opening shot to Episode Four, as it fades to black, like mm-hmm. it's the Star Destroyer chasing the Corvette. 
guns ablazing. Yeah, I hope not. Just because, probably unlikely. unlikely. <laughs> just because that's the whole reason that I don't like the prequel stuff is I don't need stuff to fit puzzle piece to puzzle piece. I am happy for it to be its own story. Yes, it's where they get the Death Star plans. So that's the basic story. That's all I need. I don't need to have it all connect, connect, connect. Give me a story with like this group and have them have their own perils and situations that are dire and you know just leave it at that. Okay, so I guess that does let us move into our main topic, which last time we had a sort of run-up to this discussion. And this is actually going to be part two, where we discuss uh, our thoughts and impressions of the film, Star Wars The Force Awakens. Before we do, I, I feel like I should mention, because you guys last episode talked about you know how you were fans and, and whatnot, and I did very briefly, but I guess it wasn't, I don't think it was quite clear that I'm a huge Star Wars fan too. And I don't think it quite came across that that was just a huge part of my life for a long, long, long time. For the original trilogy, because I grew up with that and I just infused it internally. <laughs> and it was like, I just knew everything about Star Wars. I, I, I made little stop motion movies with the action figures. I, I drew all kinds of comic-y stuff about those things. I just knew it back and forth. For me, it was a very big thing. So Obviously, I was I checked out with the prequels, but I was uh, a very big Star Wars fan. All right, so we're going to discuss this, and I should note, yes, there's going to be spoilers of every kind. The, the entire movie is going to be discussed. There's going to be nothing left out, so you are warned if you somehow are one of the two people who have not seen this movie. So let's start at the very beginning. So when did you see the movie, and in what type of venue did you see it in i have no idea when i saw it it was the first week it came out (laughs) i know that much well you know how it is when you have kids you can't go opening night Mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah. like that just doesn't fly anymore i told my wife up front like you're watching the kids (laughs) oh see now that's the other thing i am going to see this on opening night and there is nothing that can stop me my biggest fly in my household because oh, Ted's just as big of, of a nerd as you, so that's exactly. Yeah. So we both had to go at the same time because if he saw it before I saw it, I'd be really pissed off. <laughs> so like, we had to go at the same time. So my original plan. This is how I saw it. My original plan is I bought tickets to see it on Saturday, and of course it opened on a Thursday or a Wednesday night or something. Mm-hmm. So I bought tickets to see it with the family so that I could see it with my son. Mm-hmm. Really, my whole family, but my son is a Star Wars fan like I am. And I wanted him and I to see it for the first time together. Because I didn't buy tickets for opening night in advance, I bought them for Saturday, I couldn't see it opening day. So I like I let go of seeing it on opening day. But then my friend got tickets to see it opening night, like a 10 o'clock showing on Wednesday or something, and invited me, and I was very torn. Mm-hmm. I was like... <laughs> Calling, going to my wife and saying, like, here's a thing, honey. Like, I really want to see it. You had a Sophie's Choice thing happening there. But what about, what about my son? (laughs) And she's like, just see it. Just see it twice. You'll know you're going to see it, like, five times anyway. And you're like, yes, I am. (laughs) So I saw it opening night. I saw it opening night. And did you see it in 3D or did you see it? um, Oh, God, no. No. Oh, good, good. There's a great theater in my neighborhood. So I live in Oakland. And there's a great theater in Oakland called the Grand Lake Theater, which has been around for an eternity. It still has a pipe organ, 
that uh, an organist plays before the movies, and they were playing um, the Star Wars Star Wars music. There were people in costume. The 501st was there in costume. There were people who had constructed these large ADAT costumes out of cardboard, much like a donkey costume. Someone in the front, someone in the back. Like it was full on Star Wars mayhem. It was it was a great place to see it. Okay, so. You sit in the theater, the lights go down, everyone is excited. The familiar, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away pops up and you feel that chill up and down your spine because you know this is it. The music swells, the fanfare, and then the crawl begins. And then here we are, we're actually actually watching a new Star Wars movie for the first time in a long, long time. What were your first impressions in the very beginnings of the movie? For myself, I felt that the tone immediately was recognizably different from the prequels. I remember sitting in that same, not exactly the same seat or the same theater even, but just in that seat, in the theater seat, watching Phantom Menace in the first five minutes and knowing something was off. The tone was just wrong. So you can watch beginnings of movies and and know whether you're in the hands of someone that knows what they're doing or not pretty quickly. And with this movie, right away, I felt this is not your grandpa's Star Wars movie. I thought right away, just with the the stormtroopers and their attack and the actual violence of it, it was something that had not been seen before. The way it was staged with actual real actors wearing actual costumes and not just CG stormtroopers, that had me immediately, if there was any trepidation, I was I felt much more at ease at that point. How about you? I'd agree with that. It definitely felt like someone else was taking the reins but in such a good way. Absolutely. The moment for me was a line of dialogue when Poe Dameron kneels down and <laughs> is looking at Kylo Ren is like, uh, who talks first? Do I talk first? Do you talk first? <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was that dialogue that has this really just great wit to it. Yeah. Really simple and legitimately funny, yeah. which there was literally no humor in the prequels. Right. There were attempts at humor, but there was nothing that was legitimately Witty. Yeah, that was a great moment. Again, I was seeing things that I hadn't seen before. I was seeing stormtroopers who were, number one, actually lethal. They were shooting people. We, haven't, we actually have not seen that <laughs> in a long time. They actually were hitting their targets. And uh, number two, they were they would actually bleeding, which is like something you rarely ever saw in Star Wars. I mean, in the very first Star Wars, yeah, the only blood you actually saw was uh, when Obi-Wan cut off the arm of that you know, guy in the cantina and there was actually some blood on the cantina floor, but you know, that was it. Everything else is kind of sanitized. And, uh, this was like, wow, this is, uh, this is like a war going on here. And this is, people are getting shot up and, and bleeding. So it was uh, pretty, pretty cool. And then the introduction of Kylo Ren that I thought also was done well. The whole beginning of the movie I thought was just spot on. Yeah. The movie is just textured. Like there are layers and there's like things that you see in the background that have meaning that are never mentioned in the movie. Whereas with George, I'm on a first name basis <laughs> where George, I always feel would has this compulsion to explain everything. Mm-hmm. And here's a, here's a good example. So I, so JJ Abrams gave an interview last week where he, he explained some backstory. So there's a scene when Ray says, Kylo Ren he takes, takes off his helmet and he puts his helmet down in a bed of ashes. And everyone is like, well, that's an interesting detail, but it's never explained. And then an interview this week, J.J. Abrams explained that Kylo Ren keeps 
the ashes of his enemies that he has killed. And he uses that as, I guess, a giant ashtray, for lack of a better term. But that's where, you know, he stores his helmet. It adds this, like, texture to this movie without having to, you know, go off on a 30-minute explanation around anything. There is a little subtle detail in the movie. You don't know anything about it, uh, but there it is. Right. And the other thing I like, too, about that planet, it's a desert planet. It's not Tatooine, thank God. But, you know, war had visited there. There was wreckage and debris from some other battle, and we don't know what it is. And I'm sure in some comic book or other something that'll be explained and and it'll have its own new story to add to this new extended universe. But I just liked that it felt like the war went on after Endor. It had carried on across the universe and it didn't just end because the you know the Death Star had blown up and the Emperor was gone. That makes sense. It wouldn't the Empire wouldn't just be like, okay, you win, you know, and it, it, it just made sense to me. It, it felt like there was a continuation that happened being, that we didn't see, but we immediately could accept. And also just appreciated that, you know, Ray was inside, you know, this hulk of a Star Destroyer. I love just the design of that. I just, that was just great. And I like that she, for whatever reason, liked the relics of the the rebellion, like the helmet and like the little stitched action figure that she had. And I just thought that was really cool. I really like that. Her just climbing around in the Battlestar gave us some perspective on how large they really truly were. Yeah. I really love the introduction of Ray. Even her music is just innocent and fun and it's just sweet. I'm very impressed with how they just they went from that war scene and the tense scene and all of a sudden it's just innocence and lighthearted and you're just following her around and seeing how she lives her life and it was a good transition yeah. for me. And, okay, so the two other new characters. So there's Poe, Poe Dameron, and Finn, who at the time was not known as Finn yet. I like that they also, they didn't continue on with the clones. Yeah. You know, that these were actual, like, different people. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were still raised to be stormtroopers, but at some point they could, you know, have some sort of free will and free thought and decide what they really want to do. Yeah. Which is yeah. vastly different from every stormtrooper in every other movie. Right. I liked all the characters. Every character that we were introduced to in the movie, I really liked. My criticism, however, is that there were many characters or several characters who were introduced that I didn't quite understand why they were making them as important as they were, right? Because they had so little screen time and they weren't fleshed out enough. Commander Hux, Huxley, Huck. Mm hmm. Right, has so little screen time. He's supposed to be this like incredibly menacing character, but he never ever had the presence on screen that say Grand Moff Tarkin did. Right. Like Grand Moff Tarkin was on the screen for barely at all, mm-hmm. but he was terrifying. Right. Huxley just seemed kind of petulant <laughs> to me. Yeah. And annoying. Mm-hmm. And then there's uh Brienne of Tarth. Like Yeah. Why Yeah, what was that? Why is she there? Yeah. I feel like her character probably had more scenes that they cut out. Did you see the deleted scenes? Is there anything in there that indicates that she had more going on? No. <laughs> I heard I heard that there's also going to be an extended edition. Is this true? No. JJ said that there's not an extended. No. Okay. Nope. No, I don't. She, her whole character. I, I'm I didn't get say. that either. I'm pleased that they had a sort of like Sergeant Stormtrooper that was 
memorable. And that would have been fine, other than the fact that they trumped up that they had that one actress play Captain Phasma. You know, if it had just been someone anonymous, it's fine. But they had someone who's like a somewhat recognizable actress play the character. Yeah, I think. And then it did nothing. I, I just didn't get that. Yeah, I'm guessing that she plays the character is more prominent in subsequent films. That's my only thinking. But I'm going to backtrack because I said that I liked all the characters. I did not like her character. Yeah. I found the whole thing ridiculous, actually. That, especially at the end, where I'm going to assume that she too, like Finn, has undergone tremendous conditioning. Right. That she is either completely brainwashed, but whatever she is, she is hardcore first order. Mm -hmm. And yet someone holds a gun to her head and says, turn off the shields. And she's like, okay. (laughs) i i I will i will completely disarm this entire planet no problem (laughs) yeah that i'm just like no i'm sorry that's absolutely i don't buy that for a second right and i think it's partially because they made her out to be right a commander Mm -hmm. like if it was like some just some schmuck stormtrooper i think i would have bought him kind of freaking out and saying yeah yeah I'll, i'll disarm it but not her yeah, frankly, what they should have done, and this is where I get to my role of things I would have liked to have seen, Chewbacca should have done some serious roughing up of her. He body slammed her or something, and then the next we see she's completely compliant. But there should have been something where she thought, oh, I, I can take this this Wookiee. And then, no. <laughs> no, no, you can't. And he just, you know, does something just like, you know, short of ripping your arm off or just something. Because, yeah, it was, you're right. You're totally right. As you'll see, for me, the the first third of the movie, I really, really loved. And then there's parts to the last two thirds that have varying degrees of things that I found to be not quite as excellent. And I was immediately struck with the camaraderie and the how well Finn and Poe played against each other. I thought they had some good chemistry right away. And um, it's not the first time we said this, but man, right away, these characters from the get-go were just so much more interesting than anybody that had shown up in the prequels. And again, it's not like they didn't have good actors in the prequels. It's just, I don't know. Anyway, I don't want to go down that road. But as as they crash landed on Jakku, there was a little bit of sort of a misdirection where Poe apparently, or at least appears to have died. And even I, who had not seen the trailers and avoided almost any kind of exposure to the trailers, you know, I'd seen a screenshot of him piloting an X-Wing later. So it, it wasn't a surprise to me that he survived. So that just kind of was just strange. And yes, they've since said originally he was supposed to die in the movie. And he, he convinced them to keep him around. And so they rewrote it. I, but I, I feel like that could have been written better the way that he just sort of disappeared and then showed up again. I feel like there was like a just a little bit more connection there that should have happened. The movie is not perfect, as much as I love it. The movie has a number of kind of plot holes or, or weaknesses. Maybe that's among them. That was not something that personally bothered me. I didn't feel like there was a continuity they were breaking or a surprise, an important surprise they were spoiling. Yeah. Not that it was a problem for me, but I guess I expected that character to have more of a role. He just sort of like was there, then he was gone, then he was there again. And I... It was just, maybe it's just my expectations, but I just thought he would have more than just a complete stop and start in the movie. I mean, he was cool and, you know, I liked him as a character, but it could have been could have been more, I guess. But 
Whatever. It lacked like, I, drama. That's what it did. Yes. It lacked drama. It was like, oh, he's dead. Oh, wait, he's alive. Yeah. There was no dun dun dun, yeah. you know? <laughs> so let's get to the introduction of another great character, a reintroduction, actually, the Millennium Falcon. I want to know why the power was on. Do you just walk into the Falcon and everything turns on? <laughs> I want to know. Not normally. <laughs> you have to hit it a couple times. Right. <laughs> but seriously, like it's sitting there. It's a piece of junk. It's been sitting there for years with tarps on it. And she walks in and all the power's on. Well, she's yeah. Ray. <laughs> she's flawless. She can do anything. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, aside from that, I was pretty stoked to see it. Her almost crashing it and dragging it across the ground. That was pretty harsh to watch. <laughs> yeah. I know. For, for You know, I always kind of got this sense that the, the Falcon was a little finicky, you know? Mm. For a ship that can be literally dragged across the ground, crashed into the ground, careen a mile through snow, crash through trees, it, it bears very well. It doesn't fall apart. Its hyperdrive always works. There were things like that that I was just like, what happened to the ship? I did love the bumping and the crashing through the sand and the um, the scraping and stuff. I was thinking, though, all during that scene that all this is entirely possible because this is all done in CG. You'd never be able to, to do that, the, the old way of the models and you know the, the camera that shoots them model on a stick. And uh, that just would never be possible. But... That said, I really liked it. And in fact, my favorite action sequence of the movie was the chase through the Star Destroyer innards. That was uh, really, really cool. I liked that a lot. Oh, I agree. Yeah, yeah, that was phenomenal. Just the action of the pilot as she's flying it and she's like reaching across and like pulling the throttle yeah. and then cutting back to the outside and seeing the ship, you know, skid great. Yeah. That, that, was, that was thrilling. I even appreciated the interior shots of the TIE pilots. They didn't do anything dramatically new, but I just remember watching it and seeing like reflections off of their like eye lenses and things like that out into the landscape around them. And it just looks so real. It looked great. It was just a, such a small detail, but I appreciated it so much. And that just lent to the overall enjoyment of that whole scene. So then they depart Jakku, but then they're swallowed up by another ship. And the uh, surprise is that it's none other than Han Solo back with Chewie on the Falcon. I guess I should ask you, Burns, since you saw it on opening night, what was the level of like cheering at certain points, like with the William Falcon reveal or when Han shows up? Or was the audience just like totally bananas or how was that? The audience was very respectful, but still made audible cheers. Like there were brief, like spurts of applause, but nothing that was rude. Yeah. So yeah, like when you enter it, you you can hear people gasp. Mm -hmm. Like you can hear going like yes, mm -hmm. um, and you might have like a lone person like clap or something. But um, no, most people. And same thing for Phantom. Although with Phantom, I don't think they were um, so much being polite as so much as they were in shock. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I think for me, I, I saw it at not opening night. I saw it like I think the next day. I saw it on a Friday, so I don't. It was during like one of the morning showings. 
that on overall sense that I kind of gathered, and then maybe this is just myself projecting, was that if there was some moment where you wanted to be like, oh yeah, or just amazing, part of that was just you're still cautious because you still wanted to make sure that, okay, this is going to be okay, right? The movie's not going to just like trip up and just like fall flat in his face, right? You're not quite confident enough to just like let yourself go and, and like uh, totally expose yourself to believing again. I think for the the first maybe 30 minutes or so, people were still getting used to the fact that, okay, this is pretty good so far. Oh, God, I hope, it's, I hope it still keeps up. I hope it keeps up. I hope it's good. So I think that was part of it as well. I'm glad you brought that up. The first time I saw the movie, I left the theater and my friends and, and, and I were like, so what'd you think? And I was like, I think I enjoyed it. <laughs> I was really conflicted about it because I did have some strong critiques, mm-hmm. but I did very much enjoy it. But at the same time, what really worried me is I had a similar experience with Phantom. Like with Phantom, I was so drunk on Star Wars mm-hmm. that I wouldn't let myself see what was so bad about it. And so with this film, I kind of had the same experience. I'm like, wow, there were some big criticism I have about it, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't want that. I didn't want my enthusiasm to cloud my better judgment. Right. And it wasn't until I saw it a second time that I was like, no, actually, this is a legitimately very enjoyable, well done movie. Yeah. The difference between your experience and mine was I immediately kind of knew what I thought the, the positives and the negatives were. But the first time I saw the movie, after it ended, I thought it was good and I was pleased and I I wasn't jumping up and down like Empire Strikes Back level, but I was happy enough that I knew, okay, that was a relief. It was not prequel level. Or, you know, it was, it was good. The difference this, when I saw it the second time was, and then we'll get to this, is there's a point, like midpoint in the movie, the first time I saw it, where I'm like, where's this going? I, I'm not... It's really good. I'm I'm liking these characters. I like the new guys, the Falcons back, yay. But where where's it going? I don't know. You know, right now they're just kind of like, you know, they they went here, they went there. I'm not sure what the overall story is. And right about the time is when they introduced the Star Killer base and then I'm like, "Ah, oh, okay, that's what's going to be. It's going to be, you know, blow up the the big weapon thing." And so to that point, I was still I was kind of like, ah, "What's the the story here?" So the second time I saw it, knowing what I knew, I wasn't worried as much about that. Not that I was worried, but I, I, I wasn't as aware of it on some level that I was searching for, you know, where's this going? And so I was able to watch the scenes kind of more carefully and just notice things I hadn't noticed before and kind of enjoy them, knowing that, oh, this action set piece is coming up and, oh, this is coming up and, oh, that was cool. After I saw it the second time, um, it didn't change my opinion. I still felt pretty much the same, but I did enjoy it more the second time because I wasn't as concerned about, okay, where is this going? And uh, also by that time, I I already knew that it wasn't going to be a failure. It was a little bit just more easy to to settle into. So yeah, you let your guard down. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So Hans shows up and this is the first part for me that didn't quite sink well. Like I said, the first part, of third of the movie, I thought was great. This sequence on that kind of cargo-y ship that he had, I didn't feel that was executed at all that well for a couple of reasons. One was the scale of the ship. I never quite got it. It was large enough to like dock the entire Falcon 
but it always seemed like they were on one level of it. And then it seemed like it would just have like five or six levels or something. I don't know. It looked, it looked massive. And it also seemed a little large for someone like a, a daredevil pilot like Han to be piloting around like this barge of a ship seemed kind of out of character. But the thing that for me was the most out of place was the CG tentacle monsters. I thought after all they had done in the beginning, setting up all the practical effects with like the little creatures walking around on the sandy desert and uh, all the stuff we'd seen when those guys showed up, those, whatever they were called, uh, they just looked really out of place. It looked like something from another movie, frankly. That whole action sequence seemed kind of like stuffed in to me. Um, to me, that whole sequence felt like Galaxy Quest. Yes. I was like, you know, this isn't very Han-like at all. Yeah. And yeah, I did. It, it seemed campy like Galaxy Quest. We could do without that whole sequence. Right. The one part about it that I did like was, not that I don't like Chewie, but I liked that Chewie got shot and got hurt because again this is not your grandpa's star wars movie this people actually get shot in this and all these characters have survived so many blaster shots from nearsighted stormtroopers that finally someone actually takes a hit to the arm and granted it wasn't a mortal wound but i appreciated that yes these guys actually can take a hit once in a while yeah if that's the the tone they're going to take especially in the rogue one movie which i feel like the rogue one movie since it is sort of being sold as sort of like a war movie that that might actually too have some a little bit be more grittier and a little bit more visceral. The one redeeming part about the uh, ship sequence is the dialogue between Han and the two smuggler factions. Mm-hmm. Like that was great, great dialogue, very Star Warsy in how people were speaking into their language, and a great kind of expose of his character, right? Han's character around uh, what was the great line where he's talking about like. Um, when, when, when have I ever not fulfilled one of my promises? And they're like, two times. And Han is like, uh, wait, wait, what's the second one? <laughs> that was very well done. Like, that whole sequence was great. For me, actually, and this is entirely personal opinion or whatever, but I really enjoyed seeing Han Solo in the movie. We can get to a discussion at some point, maybe this episode, maybe the next one, about whether they truly needed to have as much of the original trilogy characters in them or not. But since they had them in, in this one, I'm glad that Han Solo was in it. But that being said, I kind of felt like this Han Solo was more of the Return of the Jedi Han Solo, which makes sense because that was, you know, the previous movie. But And you're like, well, what do you mean Return of the Jedi Han Solo? For me, there was, um, there was a, a marked difference between the Han of Star Wars and Empire and Return of the Jedi. The one in Return of the Jedi was more jokey and less of a gunslinger, whereas the Han of the first two movies was just such a badass. And, I mean, you just look at a few iconic scenes, like obviously frying Greedo and and, uh, and Empire, the way he just was alpha dog to all the rebel guys on the Hoth base, and he was just like barking orders to everybody. He was just a badass. I think he was written more jokey in Return of the Jedi, at least I think, than just general evolution of him becoming a swell guy. And so when I watched Return of the Jedi, he just seems to be a lot more quippy and things like that. So that's the version we got in this film. And I prefer a Han who would have shot the thugs rather than kind of talk his way out in a parlay of some kind. 
one thing I did really, really like, uh, and again, we're, I don't want to get too far off the, the storyline here, but I, I really liked one thing that I thought was in this movie, which was not in the other movies, was his relationship with Chewbacca. I thought they specifically had certain lines for him and Chewie where he went out of his way to thank Chewie for, oh, that's a great suggestion. Or, no, 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 don't worry about it, buddy. You you did a great job. You don't have, you know, don't don't put yourself down. He had more of a relationship with him, and it felt like they were friends, whereas in some of the past movies, it sort of just felt like Chewbacca was his lackey. He was following him around, taking his orders. There was a great moment when uh, they're leaving Starkiller Base, and Chewie hands Han his jacket. And it shows this like moment of tenderness where like Han is Han is the husband who will walk out of the house in the freezing cold without a jacket and argue with his wife about whether he's going to be cold or not. Right. But like Chewie hands him his jacket and he and he has this moment where he looks at him and he's like he's not taking it. And like Chewie kind of pushes it back at him. <laughs> and then he kind of looks at him as like, all right. Yeah. And thanks, buddy. Yeah. There were you. I think that's a really good observation because there was more of that and there should be more of that. And of course there won't be. Right. But. <sighs> yeah. Well, I think partly that's, we'll get to that point uh, where we talk about that scene, but I think it was all deliberate. I think that if Han had been a dick to Chewbacca, <laughs> this movie, like he kind of was in all the other movies. Um, not, not that he was really, but I mean, he just wasn't, I just think I didn't like get like the true friendship aspect too much in the last, in the previous movies. But in this one, it, it really, I thought was deliberate that they, they set them up as like, yeah, these guys are friends. They've been through a lot because that makes it more tragic. And that's what, you know, sets Chewie off at the end. Um, so, uh, well, if you think about it in the other movies, maybe they had just partnered up. You know what I mean? Wait a minute. But, but I thought like the canon is of the uh, original extended universe was that they had been together for like for a long, long time. time. And the young Han Solo movie they're making is going to is is the origin story of Han and Chewie. Oh, okay. Ugh, barf. I, Whatever. I don't want to see that. I don't. It's why do I have to see story, the origin Brian? story of everything? Here you are, Brian, talking about how you want to see more about the story and the relationship between Han and Chewie, and then when we talk <laughs> about the origin story, you're like, now nah, I want to see that. No, I don't want to see the origin. <laughs> I don't need to. I, you know, why? It's it's like. You're very contradictory, Brian. No, it's not. It, it's I just don't need to see how everything came about. It's, it's, it's that's why the prequels to me were such a joke. It's like, oh, this is how this came about, and this came about, and this came about. I don't care. I don't need to know. It was fine the first time when I didn't know where that came from or that came from. So anyway, character wise, because we haven't seen Han Solo in thirty years by our you know whatever it was, and so did you feel? Like, not just Han, but maybe some of the other characters. Did you feel like they were a good continuation of their prior selves? Or, well, obviously, Luke, we don't get much much, <laughs> much of a shot. But um, My first thought is, I like that when they introduce the old, you know, the veterans, I'm glad they started with Han. How come? Well, I just feel like Han is such a good character, and he's such a character that he can move the story along, you know, and he can change the story up really easily because, you know, of his personality and the things that he's done in the previous movies. Whereas I feel like Leia is just a one shot character. You know, this is what Leia does. She's the princess. She's the general. She just does the rebellion thing. Mm -hmm. 
you know, so when Leia comes in, we're just all about the rebellion. But when Han comes in, we can go off and do a thousand different things before we finally get to the rebellion story. Mm-hmm. You know, so I like that they started with him because he, I just feel like he adds more, you know, the give and take of everything. You know, mm-hmm. he wasn't a believer in the force and now he's a believer in the force and he's seen everything yeah. and, you know, he can teach the youngins how it really was. I have to say, Harrison Ford. As much as I, like I said, character-wise, I would have liked him to be a little bit more of a scoundrel in the movie, but I thought his portrayal was great. I mean, just, he has the scene where he's talking about the Jedi and the Force and how it's all real. That was great. I felt that. I was like, if I was either of those two other characters listening to that, I just would have been like, okay, man, you got it. I'm following you wherever you, I just, it was a great, great performance. I agree. I agree with his performance and portrayal. I think, though, I disagree with you in that I think he played it just right in not being a scoundrel. Being a scoundrel, that's that's like, that's something for your 20s. <laughs> you know, that, the gunslinger is something, you know, you grow out of. You become a more, you should be in your older age, if you live long enough, be more thoughtful mm-hmm. and mindful. Like, that's why you survive, partially. Mm-hmm. Um, is your your ability to to do that to think as opposed to fight? Yeah. So I did. It didn't bother me that he was soft. Although I do like the hard Han mm-hmm. from a, you know A New Hope. I like the gunslinger, yeah. but he's old. Yeah. I don't disagree with you. I don't know that they could have made it so that he would have been sort of a Clint Eastwood ish sort of grizzled guy who is going to go out the way he's always been type of thing. It made sense for the film for him to be the father that wants to connect with the son and not just some loner that wants to die in a blaze. Well, of glory. a little too late. Don't you think? <laughs> Sorry. I mean, come on. We don't know the story. Sure. I'm going to connect with my son, you know, now that he's going to kill everybody, <laughs> maybe now I should become a parent, you know, actually parent my child. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> Instead of sending him off to boarding school. Right. With his crazy uncle. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I like the fact that uh, Han and Leia did not live happily ever after. Mm. Me too. I like it when people acknowledge that, you know, life sucks. Yeah. And and they were never a perfect couple to begin with. You know, they always had conflicting interests. You can't say, you know, now that we're together, our interests are going to completely stop and we're going to, you know, agree on everything. Yeah. You know, especially how passionate she is, you know, there's no way that that was ever going to work. Yeah. I don't care what anybody says. I agree with that. At the same time, I do agree with, there's an article I read on io9.com where the writer said that now that when you watch like the end of Return of the Jedi and everybody's happy, you know, as the Ewoks tumble around as they do, that you can't watch it the same because you know that it's doomed. It's there's like a different sense of watching that now because you're like, well, they're going to get together and they're going to basically create the dark yeah, Sith why? Lord who's well, going to be a, a guy who's going to kill billions of people and also murder his father. So <laughs> it's, but, but you can still watch it the same way though, no, because if you, no. yeah, you, ha- you can, How because can you? that start of their relationship, they both had the same interest at the time. They had just gone through this really, you know, 
euphoric win over destroying the empire. So they they were both on the same page at that point. Well, at that point, yeah. But you you have knowledge now. You know what happens. You know what happens to this their story, and it's not a happy ending. So. But you can't appreciate the start of their relationship and how you can. I'm just saying you can't watch it now the same as you did then, and because back then it was like, yay, it's happy. Everybody's happy. Fireworks. We. E tub nub or whatever the the way he walks would say. You're naive. If that's the way that you viewed that movie, come on. What, what movie? That's, that's being that's being naive. If you just ended that movie and were like, oh yeah, the entire universe is happy go lucky. Well, how could you? Not, I mean, hello. It, didn't Lucas did like change the whole ending so like there are multiple celebrations on all these different planets? Uh, the whole <laughs> ending was just like, yes, everything is happy now. Hooray! Don't worry, kids. Everything's great. I'm sorry, those don't exist. Well, yeah, now as you as you're um, <laughs> no longer teenage or twenty no, something year old, I'll tell you when I saw Return of the Jedi when I was in eighth grade or whatever it was, I think seventh or eighth. I was how old are you in that? I don't know how old you are. You're, you're early teens or whatever, so you're not a kid, but you're not like like a jaded teenager yet either. But I saw that and I didn't sit there and think, oh wow, that was cool. Um, dang, sure is. Too bad that, you know, people have positive uh, triumphs, but they don't really last. Okay, let's go to the car. (laughs) You know, I didn't think that at that moment. I'm sorry, I didn't. Uh, Maybe now as a jaded older, you know, 40-something, it's not going to be the same. But, um, yeah, so anyway. I mean, that's... It's fair. It's interesting going back to reflecting upon the end of, of Return of the Jedi at that moment, right? Where... Lucas revised it to have celebrations all around the world. Mm-hmm. I think it was fair to say that Lucas's intent was, and they all live happily ever after. Because that was supposed to be the end, at least for him. But in the new canon, yeah. So the, mo- the one of the books that came out shortly after the movie, around the movie, I think was called Aftermath. Right. It was panned by critics. I did not read it, but people have uh, people who have read it and have talked about it talk about that parts of the book pick up right after Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they talk about is on Coruscant, after their rebellion is pulling down the statue of Palpatine, that the police officers or the, the Empire immediately starts to squash quite brutally the rebellion and the celebration in the streets. Because, of course, what is left behind is just because the Emperor is gone does not mean that you know there's a, there's a hangover, I guess you could say, that there's there still remnants. Right who are desperately holding on to power and probably vying for power in a new power vacuum. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, so that in the J.J. Abrams universe, in the new Disney universe, I suppose, how quickly they are re-revising Lucas's and they all lived happily ever after. Right, yeah. And I agree, I think that's, in my mind, always happened, that, yeah, it didn't just, like, all end. Like I said probably an hour ago, was that, you know, I always envisioned that the war continued past Endor, that there was things happening, not just on that one front or that that one theater, that they were in other sectors and still going on. But I guess that, you know, when you end a trilogy, which at the time was the only trilogy with, you know, the, the vanquishing of the, the big bad at that time and, you know, you know the big weapon that was going to destroy everyone and everyone's happy and they're all celebrating at that time, in that moment, you kind of think, yeah, this is, everyone's happy. But obviously, yeah, if you think about it a little bit afterwards, then yeah, things are, there's more to it. But that's where all the, you know, the comics, the books that came after, you know, started to deal with that because 
there was more stories to tell. Well, even then, and in the books, and all the books in the extended universe, or now what is called Legends, Han and Leia do live relatively, they have adventures together, but they stay married. Mm. They have many kids. They are committed. Mm. I mean, it's very clear in that universe, the trajectory was always for them to be together forever. Mm. But they just threw that out the window, so that's okay. Well, okay, so you guys were extended universe fans, so which do you prefer? Do you prefer the extended universe side where they were meant to always kind of be the Sam and Diane of the universe who are their they they bicker but they're meant to be together or are they how they are in the Disney version where uh which is kind of ironic cuz you wouldn't think of Disney as be the one that would break them up because it's Disney but um anyway where it wasn't a happy ending and they has a kind of a dark end is there a version you prefer or or is it too early or is it I think I prefer both <laughs> I think there's as- well no there's 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 aspects of both that I really like and there's aspects that I'm willing to let go of. Mm-hmm. I need Luke's story fleshed out a little bit more, mm-hmm. but as far as Han and Leia go, I'm okay that they're not together. Mm-hmm. I don't need them to be together. And I'm okay that we lose two children in this story, <laughs> you know, but one of their children still ends up being this horrible person. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm willing to give up their other two children for this story. Because I like it. Mm-hmm. I like Kylo. I mean, he, he kind of stays along with the whiny Skywalker personality. <laughs> so I'm kind of okay with him. I like how it's getting people to talk about Han and Leia's parenting style, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and how their own personal interests affected their child. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, their parenting wasn't the whole reason he turned into this horrible person. Right. But yeah, I'm willing to give up certain things for this story and go along for the ride on this story. Mm-hmm. I'm on board. It feels real. Yeah. You know, parents who mourn the loss of a child, their marriages don't always survive. Right. What I do respect and like about it is it's clear. They still love each other. They're not bitter. They're not angry at each other. They haven't, they're just not together. They're still, I think, struggling with their loss mm-hmm. in their mm-hmm. own way. And they, never found a way to do it together. I'm getting too psychological. But it feels very real to me and believable that that's exactly what would happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, you know what? This sounds like it's a good point for us to stop since we still have half the movie to go. And um, like I said at the very beginning of this little series of ours, that we will be breaking these into multiple podcasts. So I think it's a good stopping point. Next time we'll revisit the midpoint of the movie and uh, move on from there. There's plenty left to talk about. Are there any final things to say before we adjourn? Thanks for listening. Yes. <laughs> for taking a two-hour movie and talking about um, every minute yeah. or three minutes. We'll make a two-hour movie a six-hour podcast experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so again, thanks everyone for listening and uh i really appreciate how people have stuck around after all these years and are still subscribed to the podcast i appreciate that we have so much fun doing it and so it's it's great that uh, there's still people out there that are subscribed again you can find us on facebook if you look up a galactica quorum or geek quorum and uh, we're on itunes that's a good place to look you can email us at gquorum at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 301-358-5175. But the easiest thing to do is just 
email and like send a voice message or something. I don't know, whatever you want to do. There's different ways to do it nowadays. And you can, I guess, tweet at us. Michelle, you, you still Let's tweet? Let the young people figure out all the apps we don't know anything about. Yeah. Maybe they can Snapchat us or right. Snap tweet or face <laughs> chat something. I don't know. Whatever the kids are doing, right. do it to us. <laughs> Remember Michelle? I'm still on Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter still. Yeah. Remember, Michelle, do you remember like when um, we were having one episode and we were talking to Jason about plunking or there was some other like social network that fizzled really quickly? It was like called Plurk or Plonk or. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> I think I can, I think you can still access the website. Oh, my. Yeah. That was so long ago. That came out like right around when Twitter started. Yeah. And then Twitter just kind of dominated. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you two for uh, a, a great discussion. I really enjoyed it. And we definitely will be back very soon to um, maybe not wrap up because there's so much more to, to discuss, but talk again about Star Wars The Force Awakens. So, so say we all. So say we all. And until next time, the jump clock is running. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Next time on the Geek Quorum. I got Quantum Break for the Xbox. Yeah. What is Quantum Break? What? You don't know what Quantum Break is? No, and I thought I was pretty in the loop. <laughs> what, what is oh, it? You are so <laughs> far out of the loop. <laughs> see, I really didn't see any action. I just saw the kind of the intro story bits. Oh, yeah, I watched that too. That was crap. And it kind of sucked. It did. No, no, it gets better. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it gets better. <laughs> I promise it gets better.